You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. God, you are here. You are among us. You are afoot. You're, you're doing things. I pray to you, God, today that everything we do is it goes through your heart. It is done with every right intention and every pure motive. Would you speak to us through your word today? Would you challenge our hearts? Would you change our hearts? Would you renew our hearts? Would you help us right now, God, that we are open to whatever you might want to say through the power of the Holy Spirit to each of us? Would you let me as your servant decrease in this moment that you may increase through me? Let me not be what is alive here, but let it be you through me. Use me for your glory today. Touch the hearts of your people today in powerful ways that we may serve you as a church, that we may love you and honor you and bless you, and that as a church we may fulfill your will according to your good purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you want to take your Bibles and you want to turn with me to the initial passage of Scripture, I am going to take you into Matthew chapter 7. And uh, we are again this morning going to journey through one of the parables uh, of Jesus, all right? And so I want to encourage you that you, uh, you let these parables really speak to you. That's what the parables do. Now, we are on this year-long journey of being centered in Jesus. Everything that we're doing is focused on Jesus and His life. And so at this particular part of the series, we are looking at a number of parables, all right? And as we said, as Pastor Dave said to you last week, uh, these parables are stories. They are little stories that have big impact. They have big messages, all right? And uh, some of these messages are startling to us at times. Some of them are really challenging and unsettling in, the, in what they do to us. And that is the intent. That is God's intent. Sometimes God does not want to make you happy. He wants to trouble you. Sometimes he wants to, to move in your life, and he wants to unsettle you just a little bit. I, re, I remember once being in a greenhouse. I used to work, uh, in, when I lived in, in South Georgia, I worked for Callaway Gardens, and I would be in the greenhouse with, with the guys there, and they would look at some of the plants, and they would, just, they would take the plants that were, they were in pots, but they would take them by their, their stalk or by, by their, their base, and they would just pick it up, and they would set it over here, and they'd say, fix it. And the guy over there knew what to do. He, he knew exactly what to do. So he would, he would take that plant, and they just said, fix it. And the problem was that they were going along, and they were picking out plants that were starting to, their, their leaves were starting to yellow a bit, or they were starting to wilt just a little bit. And they would take those, and this guy would take them, and then he would do the strangest thing. He would take it, he would take it by the stalk, all right, and he would pick it up. So now the pot's on the top, and he's holding it, and the pot is up here on the top, and the plant is hanging down this way, and he would go, boom. And he would loosen up that pot, and then he would pull the pot off. And I was like, what is he doing? And the guy said, well, it's root-bound. 
It's, it's got all these roots, and these roots are all up in there, and they're all tied up into each other. And so they're all bound up, these roots in there, and they need to be free so they can grow out and get nutrients and, 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 and get everything that they need so the plant can flourish. So what we've got to do is we've got to take that little pot off of there, and it does cause a bit of trauma, but we put it in a bigger pot, and when we put it in the bigger pot, then it flourishes. The roots spread out, and it grows. That's what a parable does. It picks you up, loosens up your root system, takes that old container off, if you will, whatever's been your container, whatever you've planted yourself in that, that, that binds you up and holds you there and doesn't let you really be as free as you need to be and doesn't let your roots grow as deep as they need to go. And suddenly now you're getting new nutrients. You're getting new understanding and new revelation from God. He's feeding you out of the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of His Word. You're getting some fresh bread, some fresh manna, and God is working in you and you're growing and you're flourishing. And hopefully that's what the parables are going to do for all of us. As we move along here, they're going to allow us to grow deeper. They're going to allow us to, 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 to move beyond where we have been. And we can, we can be more effective for God. So we're continuing through the parables this morning. I didn't plan this this way, but in light of the weather we've been having, this is a great parable to go to. It's going to talk about the storms of life just a little bit here. And uh, we've certainly seen what a storm can do when it comes through and wreak havoc uh, within a community, all right? But let's, let's pick this up, this parable. We're going to pick it up just above the actual parable in verse 21. And I want to read down through verse 27 with you. And, uh, and then I'll try to unpack it for a little bit here as we go, all right? So... Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me. You evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and they beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Here Jesus is speaking to us, and he's speaking to the absolute necessity to build your life on the right kind of foundation. Because the foundation is what holds everything up, all right? It's what holds everything together. So no matter what quality of materials you're using, no, no matter how carefully you join the frame together, no matter how skilled your craftsman may be, if the foundation isn't solid, if it's not stable, your house will lack integrity. It, it will not hold together over time. Cracks will develop in the walls. The windows will stick together and won't raise and lower. The roof will start to leak. The storms of life will come in and eventually your house will be a mess. 
I remember attending a conference many years ago in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, uh, a wonderful pastor there, uh, Tony Evans, some of you will know uh, the name, uh, he, he got up to speak to the pastors, uh, and you would think that when someone is speaking to the pastors, they're going to get uh, into something very, uh, very deep, very theologically deep and, and expansive. And he got up and he says, I just want to tell you one thing. He said, I just, I just had a house. I bought a house and, and, and we were in the house for just a little while. And uh, while we were in the house, we started to hear some, some sort of noise. And he says, eventually we, we worked our way down to the basement. And when we got into the basement, he said, I looked over in one corner. And he said, to my amazement, he said, I saw this most amazing crack in the entire wall of our basement. He said, I didn't see that when we bought the house. He said, I was down, I look, you know, I was down, I didn't see that. So I saw, here's this crack. He said, I, we brought this guy in and had him look at the house and said, you know, what, what is going on? What do you think? And he said, your foundation is off. Your foundation is off. And he says, you're going to get more of this because of that. He said, this is not a safe house to live in. And I think that Jesus is trying to speak something to you and I about this same idea that the importance of the foundation, the importance of where you start to build, that is absolutely essential. Um, Some of you may have read this. I I have always, since I was a child, been fascinated by the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Uh, It's in Europe, in Italy. It closed down for a number of years. I, as a little kid, I just knew it was going to fall over. You know, it was this building that was leaning. And I, I, every, t- every time I would see a picture of it, I, I would think to myself, man, I'd like to be there the day that sucker falls over. I think that'd just be an amazing thing. I was like, boom, you know, I could just see it happening, you know. <laughs> and, and then when I got older and started to read about it, I, I deeply you know, I was deeply concerned because of the, the value historically and artistically of, of this, this building. Um, it's, just, it's just a great monument built in its day, all right? Um, uh, and, and, and all of a sudden, it closed a number of years ago. And they said, we, we can't keep it open. It's not safe. And I was like, oh, my goodness, it is going to fall, all right? But the engineers came in during this time, and they completed what was in the value of a $25 million renovation project. And the whole project was designed just simply to stabilize the tower, all right? Um, now, let, let me explain to you wh- why they needed to do that. They, and, and here's what they did. They removed 110 ton of dirt, and, and, and they were able to reduce this famous lean of this tower uh, by about 16 inches. All right? That means they, they moved it back over 16 inches. All right? And, and why, why was this necessary? It was because the tower uh, had been tilting further and, and, and further away from its vertical. For over 100 years, this had been happening. Uh, to, to the point that the top of the tower, this is a 185-foot tower, all right? Um, an amazing, amazing monument, all right? Uh, it, was, it was 17 feet further south at the top than at the bottom, all right? So if, if you stood right up by it at the bottom and, and you looked up, the top was over here, over there, by 17 feet. You know, it, it ain't going to last long. So, so they, they went through this, 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 this whole renovation to, to stabilize it. Now, what was the problem? Was it bad design? 
Uh, no. Was it poor workmanship? No. Was it an inferior grade of marble? No. The problem was what was underneath in the foundation. The sandy soil on which the city of Pisa was built was just, it just wasn't stable enough to support the size of this monument. The tower, they said, had absolutely no foundation, and it was tilting more and more and more. If they had not done something to it, it would have fallen. I wonder how many times we've seen a brother or a sister, and they've been in a tilt mode. They're leaning father and father, and we've done nothing. We've done nothing to try to, to help them. And I, want, I, 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 pr- I propose to you today that it is important that you and I understand the value of one's foundation. That we understand what is, is underneath. And that we not just live superficially with one another as the body of Christ. That we're not living out there going, my goodness, you look good today. My goodness, you, you just always, you're it. You've just got the it factor, and it's just going on with you all the time. You just always look so good. That we're not feeding into that dimension of all of us, but rather we are living as the body of Christ, understanding that there is tremendous value and a serious need for us to be willing to look at the foundation underneath us. And that we are to care on that level for one another. And my prayer is today that you and I will first of all look at ourselves and ask God to help us to see what is it that we are building on. See, in order for you and I to avoid this kind of problem, I'd like for us to look really at these these two main characters in this parable that we we just read about, all right? First of all, note this, that that there are only two builders in the story. There are not alternatives. There are not other kinds of builders. There's there's only two builders in in this, and the one that built on the sure foundation and, and the one that didn't, all right? When it comes to matters of ultimate truth, the truth that we all agree that we must hold to and that we must believe on, there's only really two options, and that's the truth of God and everything else outside of that. It doesn't matter, doesn't matter how much variety is there. There are, there are only two options for you and I today if we're going to have a sure foundation, all right? And it is that either we are trusting Christ and that we are obeying His commandments and that we are following His example, or we're not. This is going to, this is going to get to be a hard parable here in a few minutes, folks. This is, a, this is a tremendously challenging place for you and I. And yet, Jesus puts it in here, and He's very, very, very pointed about the whole thing. I think He's quite intense in this passage. The world is going to tell you that you have a myriad of choices, all right? There are many, many ways for you to be a spiritual person. Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, Mormonism, Confucianism... Hinduism, Shintoism, Native American spirituality, Wicca, whatever, and I probably didn't say all those exactly right, but you know what I'm saying. There are all these choices that are out there that you can choose from on this buffet, but it is one buffet and it is wrong. There is only one sure foundation and there is only one sure gospel. And folks, we can't mix this stuff up. 
We don't have room for syncretism in the body of Christ. We spent a series talking a lot about some of that kind of stuff and the dangers of it. According to the Bible, there are not many ways. There are not many roads or many options. There are not a variety of foundations that you can choose from. We're not talking here about you going in and picking out your kitchen cabinets. Or the type of windows you want. Or a particular kind of shingle. Or the flooring of your deck. You can only build your foundation one way. Lest you find problems. So according to the Bible as I see it, there are only two ways. Christ is one way and everything else is the other way. One way leads to life and the other leads to death and destruction. Now, does this mean there's no value in any of the other systems of belief? No, I'm not, I'm not saying that, not at all. Most of, most of the varieties of our various religions or philosophies in the world, they, can't, they contain some truth. They contain kernels of truth. The problem is that these kernels of truth... Um, They're mixed with a great deal of other things, falsehoods and and deceptions. And regardless, regardless of, of, of the amount of truth you would find in any one of these areas, every other approach to life, it is eventually going to lead you astray. It's going to lead you away. Or it's going to betray you. It's going to make a fool of you. It's going to destroy you. Because what it's doing is eventually it is leading you away from Jesus Christ and away from the truth. This is what Peter writes. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His... God's divine power has given us everything we need. Did you get that? Everything you need. For life and godliness, through our knowledge of Him, that is Christ, who called us by His own glory and goodness. You got got what you need. You don't need to go searching. You don't need to go hunting. Here's the greatest danger. That we get bored with the most exciting thing that is on this earth. And we go look for something else. We see this in marriage. We see this in other relationships. We see this in in careers. Someone gets, gets bored with what they have. And so they start to look around. They start to see differently. Their, their, their thoughts go in different directions. They see things very, very differently. This June, my wife and I will be married 33 years. How long? 31? No. We, 31? Who helped me? And, and helped me. Thank you, dear. How, how, when did we get married, Ann? June 11th, 1982. Okay, a month before you. So you're in the same boat. 31 years. Do you not think that in 31 years she didn't get a little bored? You thought I was going to say she got boring, didn't you? I saw that look on your face, Yvette. No.
Do you not think the enemy hasn't come to me and said, Bill, think about this. There's a buffet out there. The devil is, is crouching right by your door. He's not off out there somewhere and may come in. He is by your door, all right? He is there. He is loud. He is talking to you. He is putting things in your mind to try to entice you to a different way. You look good today, by the way. <laughs> you kind of got this little hippie woman thing going on today. It's kind of cool. I like it. It's great. Nathan and Christina came in this morning. Oh, you should have seen Christina hug her husband like a woman. Ought to, she ain't not to hug her husband in church like that. She just, she was all over this man this morning. I promise you, she is not finding him boring today. It's not happening. Hallelujah. I'm trying to help some of you this morning, all right? I am trying to help you. Not you single people. Y'all just hang on, all right? But I am trying to help you this morning to understand there is a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end is destruction. But there is a right way. That's not the end of the story. It's not just about you trying to fight something all the time. There is Jesus Christ, and He is the true foundation. And He has given us, as that scripture said, everything we need for righteousness and godliness is in Him. You don't have to go find it somewhere else. All right? The man built his house on the sand. Folks, he did a lot of things right. For, for instance, he, he was evidently diligent. He, he was probably very energetic. He's a hard worker. He built a house. This is no easy thing to put up a house, and especially not in, in those days. All right? I mean, especially with no power. Some of you know what no power means after the storms last week. So he didn't have power, so you can imagine what that was like. He didn't have Home Depot. You know, he didn't have no projects. He didn't have no, no chainsaws and, and those other things that men use that I don't know how to use. You know, that all of you do for me. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God for real men. <laughs> Thank you. It's appreciated, but I... Brothers, I know the truth. <laughs> it probably took him a long time. Backbreaking labor to build this house. He didn't quit. He persevered. He completed the structure. Yet in the end, all that work, all that effort, all that energy came to nothing but destruction. I point that out because often... We confuse activity, our work, with godliness. You know, got to be, got to be working. You know, got to be about the Father's business. Some of what you're doing is no more about the Father's business than anything. We assume that if someone is hardworking, if they're energetic, they've got to be a sincere Christian. They got it together. You know, they, they just work hard all the time. They're probably running away from something, hiding from something trading that off or something, who knows what. I, 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 want you, I want your heart searched today. 
Because we say, wow, they must be so close to God because they're just doing so much for the Lord. If your pastors are working too hard, you need to ask us why we do that. Because we're going to ask you why you do it. We make ministry involvement the mark of our spirituality. That's a mistake. Because all, all that activity and all of that service may be built upon the wrong foundation. They could be doing all these things for all the wrong reasons. It may not be obvious what those reasons are for, just like it may not be obvious what kind of foundation is underneath the house. But in the end, the true motivation will become apparent to you and I because we will see when the storm of life comes. Let me tell you something, people. Listen to this. Even the most costly service and the most strenuous labor will not save you. I don't care how much money you give. I don't care how many hours you put in. I don't care how much you do in secret. If the foundational motive for what you do is something other than love, it will get you nothing. All right, let's reference 1 Corinthians chapter 13 for just a moment. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, in other words, if I am super spiritual, if I got all those gifts going on and I'm, I'm doing all this kind of stuff, all right? But I don't have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Do you know what a resounding gong is? It's, it's the equivalent of a leaky faucet. A resounding gong is just boom, boom. If I stood by your window all night and I went, boom, you would either shoot me or call the police. It would irritate you. Well, it would irritate Roy Christian. Let me put it that way. He, w- he wouldn't put up with that for very long. He'd stop. He'd, he would stop that. How many of you in the night, you just hear this faucet all of a sudden and it just starts to drip? And you go and you turn it and you play with it and after a while, it's like, it's like a story you read when you were a kid about a heart beating under the, the floor, scaring you to death or irritating you to no end. I'll tell you the worst one of all. It's when your fire extinguisher's battery goes dead. <laughs> and you got that. <laughs> 3 a.m., And you ain't got a battery. And you up in a chair in the dark. Now you're up on the dresser. And you, you're reaching over around the corner trying to get it off the wall. And you, you're about to tear it off because you're so upset, you know. And you're trying to get that battery out of there. And they're made so you can't get the battery out of there. You know, it takes effort and it takes tools. And so you, you just, before long, you're like, I, I, just take me, Jesus. Take me to heaven. (laughs) Folks, if you don't have love, at best, you're an annoyance. Worst case, you're, you're, you're just empty. You're just empty. You've got nothing. 
You got no, Let's go. Verse 2. Uh, next verse. No, here we go. You're right. If I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, my faith can actually do something, but I don't have love. I am nothing. Nothing. Zip. Verse 3. This one, boy. Because we give, folks. We reach to the poor. We, we love the poor. We, we cultivate a culture of loving the poor and of meeting needs and of helping people in this church. If I give all I possess to the poor, not only that, if I'm willing to go where it costs my life, I surrender my body to the flames, but I have not love. I have gained nothing. I've not done a thing. And that's, that'll shake you up. That is challenging. That is tough. What, what are the motivations? Pride. That would be one. Some people like to be involved in church activities because of the praise and the, and the recognition they receive. Who's the, the radio commentator, Harvey? Paul Harvey? Interviewed once. Someone said to him, Paul Harvey, what keeps you on the radio? What keeps you going? What motivates you? What drives you? And without even a thought, without question, he looked at that uh, news person and he said, I'll tell you exactly what it is. I have become addicted to the praise of man. It drives me. It motivates me. It inspires me. It energizes me. I hope this is getting into your heart, but boy, did it get into mine as I started to work on this. How can, how can you identify this stuff? How, how can you, you, you recognize these faulty foundations there are a number of ways, and I, pride is just one of those things. Self-righteousness is, is another, all right? Uh, but I, I think you need to let people speak into your life, and I, I believe you need to let the Holy Spirit speak to you first and foremost. I think other people will confirm what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Uh, I think that you need to become familiar, once again, you and I, with the spirit of repentance. We need to realize that we, we not only still are capable of repenting, but we absolutely need to from time to time. That that needs to be a very evident part of our ongoing faith walk is that we are repenting. In repentance, there is refreshing. And that we need to see that that is a valuable component for all of us is that when, when God opens our heart and shows us our sin, that we are quick like King David. That's what I love about King David. I don't like that he sinned numerous times throughout the scriptures. I don't like that part of him any more than I like it in me when I sin numerous times through my life. But what I love about King David is that when the prophet came to him and said, it was you, you're the sinner, he repented. He got it taken... He didn't like that feeling. He didn't like that place. And I want to challenge you and I. I, Please understand, I'm not criticizing your active service in the church or anything else. That's not what I'm doing here today. Uh, In fact, for this church, that's kind of a requirement. 
You don't get to come here and sit on your duff. If you're going to be a part of Life Church, you need to do something. And so we have opportunities for you to do things. I am suggesting that you and I examine our hearts and that we ask ourselves, what is the fundamental motivation for doing what I do? Why, why am I doing what I do? Is it a sincere love for, for Christ and for His people? Or is it something else? Is it pride? Is it self-righteousness? Is it habit? Is it duty? Is it people-pleasing? And if your answer is to something else, there's a wrong foundation down there and you need to get it right. And, and the points I'm making right here is not limited to church life. It applies to any kind of work or any kind of service, uh, whether that's a wife serving her husband or vice versa, or a parent serving their children. Or It, it applies to, to, to serving your family, your extended family members, your friends, your neighbors. It applies on the job. It applies in the park, in the grocery store, wherever. It applies from the time you get up in the morning until the time you lay your head down and go to sleep at night. Are you working? Are you serving people? And is it out of love? Is it out of the heart of Jesus that you're doing what you do? Because just being active and just being diligent and hardworking isn't enough. The foundation of it all, the motivation of it all, has to be the love of Jesus Christ and that love in you, operative through you. Or else in God's eyes it has no value. Anything you or I do which cannot be traced back to our love for Christ will eventually become worthless. Wow. Because that's the only motivation that pleases God is your love. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that, is, that is so challenging, is it not? Consider also that the house that was built on the sand was good. It was a solid structure. Not just the builder was good, but the house itself, it was a solid structure. One that to all appearances was well built. It didn't fall down right away, all right? It, it was obviously uh, not obvious that there was some defect here, all right? As long as the weather was good, it was perfectly adequate. It wasn't until the storm came. It wasn't until the heavy rains came that it collapsed. And I want to highlight that for you because in the man's diligence, there was no sign that he was doing anything wrong. There was, was no apparent lack of success for his labor here. Uh, he managed to accomplish something here. Uh, it looks impressive and worthwhile but that doesn't mean that he's in good shape. Because just underneath it all was a hidden weakness. And that weakness was the foundation. And that weakness was waiting for the first major storm for its collapse. I realize that there are some people who will who will go through this life and they will not suffer a major storm. They, it, it will go well with them. Not because they are righteous or because they are necessarily good. But life will, life will throw them a good lot. 
and their life will be okay. There is still a storm that they will face. And that is called judgment. Isaiah chapter 28, uh, verse 15 through 19. Do you have that, Wade? Okay. You boast. We have entered into a covenant with death. With the grave, we have made an agreement. When an overwhelming scourge sweeps by, it cannot touch us, for we have made a lie our refuge in falsehood our hiding place. So this is what the Sovereign Lord says to that boast. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Hell will sweep away your refuge, the lie, and water will overflow your hiding place. You might get away with it on this earth. But you won't get away with it with God. Your works, all those things you did, all those times you were there, all all the times you clocked in for the kingdom, all of that, it will be looked at through the eyes of Almighty God. And He has given you a sure foundation through which to work and build off of, and that is Jesus Christ. And if you're building off of anything else, it will be just exactly as it is described here. It will be swept away. Your refuge, your lie, water will overflow your hiding place, just as in this parable. There will be nothing left. You say, Pastor, now you're getting hard. Yeah, it is. This is... In order for you to flourish, sometimes it is a hard word that is needed to make you soft. And I pray to God that the parable will do that today. I'm going to, I'm going to move on over a little bit here because we're going, to, we're going to run out of time. I want to look at a moment to the wise builder. And I want you to recall how Jesus describes him in the parable. All right, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Can you throw that one back up there, Wade? Is it possible? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Verse 25. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its rock or its foundation on the rock. How did this man differ? What was the difference between this man and the foolish man? Did he work harder? No. Did he use better materials? Not necessarily. The only difference it seems that we have here was in the foundation he chose to build on. But that made all the difference in the world. Even the most terrible and frightful storm could not destroy that house. I want these words to hold promise for you today, all right? I I want you to hold on to the reality that if you are in Christ Jesus, all right? And and, and the reality is that if you are that final storm of judgment, it, it doesn't touch you. 
You are, you are untouched. You are unharmed. That's the beautiful message of Jesus Christ and life in Him. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, you're taken care of. You're in Him. Oh, those works are going to be judged, but you are, you are taken care of. If we belong in Christ, if our lives are built upon faith in Him and obedience to, to His commands and in fellowship with Him through the power of the Holy Spirit, then there is literally nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Hallelujah. That is awesome. And no matter what happens... Our faith cannot be destroyed. We, we can't lose Christ. We're not lost by Him. Let me, let, me, let me reassure you that. You don't have to put these up, Wade, but let me just, just, just share a, a few scriptures here. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He's got you. All right? My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. John 10, 27 through verse 30. One more. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. If your foundation is right, you're good to go. You can build. You, you can build. You can, you can do it. Here's the, the, the key thing to remember. When, when, when the storms of life threaten you, when the, when the sky of your life grows black, when the winds start to howl, when the rain pours down, the key thing to remember is that it isn't a matter of us holding on to Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of our strength at all. It's a matter of Christ holding on to us. It isn't a matter of, can I get a hold of him and then just hang on? No, you need to sit here and know he's got a hold of you and he's not letting go. It isn't an issue of your faithfulness. It's an issue of his faithfulness. And, and you hold on to that. Because if you're working in your own strength and you're only holding on to the kingdom, if you're holding on to your faith, if you're holding on to Jesus in your own strength, you're not holding on. He is the sure foundation. But you need to build on Him. He needs to be at the bottom of this thing, holding you and supporting you. And everything that you're building, you're building on Him, on the rock, Jesus Christ, because there is no other foundation. Let's be done here. I pulled this. I, I filed this back in May. It actually is dated May 25th, 2006, 1.55 a.m. I, I don't know. It, it came to the Argus leader, and it was actually published in, in the Argus. Um, and and here's, here's the, the title of this. Leaning tree might have a root problem. And someone sent a question into the Argus, and they answered she says, our daughter has a tree growing in her backyard that has a problem. Her home is located in northeast Sioux Falls, close to Annie Sullivan grade school. Last year, she leaned against the tree, and it appeared to lean over much more than usual. Sound familiar? 
She had a friend help her push it into a more normal, upright position. And he tied a rope around the tree and fastened the rope to another tree a few yards away to help brace the tree. I was hoping you might know what we can do to stabilize the tree. Or do we need to remove it? It's a nice tree. But she is afraid it might fall over on her house or the neighbor's property in a strong windstorm. This was from Elaine in Sioux Falls. The Argus answers back. She obviously sent pictures to show them. Your pictures show the tree is quite large. So if it's that unstable, chances are it probably has no roots on one side. It is a hazard tree. It's dangerous. And it sounds as if you have a dangerous situation. You should immediately call the city arborist or another professional and ask him or her to evaluate the potential danger of the tree and the possibility of saving it. Even if you could stabilize it with a tripod base, the tree might not be safe because it sounds as if you have a serious root problem. It's just another word picture. But it's challenging. What are you building on today? Where are your roots going? Where are you? That age-old question asked of Adam, where are you? I challenge you and I today that we let this parable just uproot us in order that we may flourish. There is only one thing that you can build on and have eternal life, and that is Jesus Christ as Lord.